Well, welcome back to Rec to Reform Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Adkins, and it's been a little bit, hasn't it? Well, that's because I've been working on some things. Uh, bought a cabin, and now I have to build it out. And uh, so it's it's been a little bit, but also in the meantime, I've also been working on getting this podcast out on all the podcast apps, and this should be the first one that you can find on all the podcast apps. So praise God for that. Uh, I want to welcome you to the show. What we do here, what we aspire to do by the grace of God and and by His blessing, is to discuss all topics reformed. So. I'm, I'm what you call a Calvinist. I'm Reformed. I believe that God has chosen in Christ a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, that Christ died on the cross to accomplish salvation for what is known as the elect, God's people. Uh, so I'm Reformed, and this is kind of giving you a, a, a solid biblical Reformed worldview on several different topics. Now, to, to talk about that specific topic as far as soteriology, I would like to discuss that today to kind of get us off on the right foot. So, the Reformed understanding of soteriology excuse me, is that God is sovereign. He chose a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue from before the foundation of the world. He elected these people. And you see this in Revelation 5. You also see this in Ephesians chapter 1. And let's look at that for just a moment. In Ephesians chapter 1, this is often argued against by Armenian camp, um, what they call provisionists and things like that. They argue against these points, but it's very clear in Scripture as much as they would like to dance around the, the subject, it is very clear, starting in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Christ, or by Christ, in Him, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love, He predestined us, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intentions of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which have, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth in him. Now, what uh, I've heard some really weird arguments uh, against this doctrine of election and the sovereignty of God and things like that. But it's very clear in Scripture that God is the one who saves. God is the one who causes to be born again, causes the rebel sinner who is dead in their sins and trespasses to repent and believe. That's a work of God. Also, if you look at John chapter 10, 
this is often a very well uh, known text. John chapter 10, verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. Now notice what he said. He didn't say, you don't believe, or you're not of my sheep because you don't believe. No, he said, you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. In the very next verse, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So, you have this awesome text that Jesus has spoken here. About the sovereignty of God in salvation. And that's after you see John chapter 6. And now, this isn't what you do when you're doing exegesis. You want to start in John chapter 3, then go to John chapter 6, and then to John chapter 10, and then John 17, and all these things. But I'm just trying to get the, the idea across to you. In John chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says, It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God, Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now that's that seems pretty plain, doesn't it? Well, a lot of people would argue that what that verse is talking about is that well, if they if they read the word of God, then they're being taught by the Father. But this is talking about those who come to Christ. But go back just a, a couple verses. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And this is salvation encompassed from end to end. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me, sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then you get to verse 45. It is written in the prophets, And they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So this is a supernatural work of God in the heart of the unbeliever, who then overcomes their will, grants them repentance and faith, and they come to Christ willingly, seeing their own sin and their own lost condition. So these are the reasons why I'm Reformed. It's because the Scriptures teach it. It's because God has taught this in His Word. I remember uh, when I first came to that realization from Scripture when I was reading in, in Exodus, and uh, God is talking to Moses, and He says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And you know that thought that comes into your mind, it's like, why in the world would God want to save me? Well, a lost person doesn't care. And praise God that he did save me, an unworthy, wretched sinner. And it's not like, you know, I'm so great, that's why God 
chose me. No. He chose me and he chose all his people to show the level of his grace on unworthy, wretched sinners. You know, the scripture says, not, mighty, not many noble, not many mighty, not all these types of people. Not many of those. They, God chooses some of those and has chosen some of those, but that's not the normative case. So those are the reasons why I'm Reformed. And I want to give kind of a, a Reformed biblical worldview on all sorts of topics. Now, I'm also post-mill, and that's <laughs> that was actually a, a very popular kind of mainstream understanding of eschatology before the 1830s. And, um, of course, you had the, the historic pre-mill and you had the ah-mill, but I believe, personally and scripturally, that post-mill eschatology is the most biblical. It makes the most sense, scripturally, with the overarching story of scripture. So with that being said, uh, Christians used to be and need to be, like Jeff Durbin says oftentimes, the movers and shakers of society. And we as Christians, if we are building something, we're not building it with an escapism type mentality. We shouldn't anyway. We need to be building things that last building things that generations and generations down the road will be impacted by. We'll be able to look at a building and say, this was built by a Christian, and look how wonderful and, and sturdy it was built. Or maybe a business that was built by Christians, built to last, built with work, hard work. And that's how Christians have always been. We're hard workers but I think eschatology, especially uh, the escapism-type eschatology that, you know, we're just waiting for the secret rapture before the tribulation. And so why rearrange chairs on a sinking ship? That's a poor understanding. And I don't believe that that's biblical in the least. Because it leads to a laziness. And I think that's why we have such a laziness in our culture today is because people are looking to escape. They're not looking to live their life for God. They're looking to get out of the suffering. They're looking to get out of the work. They're looking to get out of all of these things. And so when we build something, if we have an eschatology that's correct, I believe, as far as, you know, <clears throat> post-mill, um, we will build things... <laughs> <laughs> I had to I had to prod that in there. We will build things that will last. We will take our time and dig deep, as Jesus said. Let the Word build a foundation in your assurance, in your heart, and be settled in a biblical worldview of theology. And that biblical worldview and theology should show up in every aspect of your life, your job, your work, whatever it is that you do for a living, it needs to show up there. It needs to show up in such a, a way that people see that not only are you serious about Christ, about his kingdom, but you're serious enough to bring the impact of the gospel against the world. And when the world comes to you and says, 
Why do you build in such a way? You say, because Jesus is Lord. And I'm doing this for him and the generations that will come after me to glorify his name. That's a legacy that we're given to to live for. I remember there was a a post on Facebook, I think it was, and this guy he he said that we we were never called to disciple the nations. Now, at my church, praise God for my church. At my church, we go over Matthew 28 verse 18 and 20. Let me read that to you for just a second. It's the Great Commission passage, right? Now, if you are familiar with Matthew, you already know what I'm going to say, don't you? So, Matthew 28. Let me get there real quick. Matthew 28, verse 18, 19, and 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Think about that for a second. All authority belongs to Christ in heaven and on earth. In heaven and on earth. When was the last time you just let those words just resonate in your heart and mind? And then his next words are, Go, therefore. Meaning, go for this reason and make disciples of all the nations. So it seems to me that nations is, is, is right there. Why would we not go to the nations and disciple? It's, it's not, we're not going to the nation and we're, we're not going to the president and saying, become a Christian and then tell all your people to become Christians. No, I think uh, it was said very well on the King's Hall podcast. Um, we work from the bottom to the top. Not from the top to the bottom. We don't work uh, from a idea of some popular person or some monarch or something like this to kind of force everybody else to kind of get on the, the bandwagon. No, that's not what we do. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And, and as the gospel goes out, the, the world will change and become more Christian. And yes, we will, mark my words, we will disciple the nations, all the nations, and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now some people get a little bit confused on the word age, And we can get into that at another time. But this is very important to get this right. To understand the Great Commission is is to have a proper eschatological view. Now, there are those who are, to put it blatantly, they're inconsistent on their eschatology. You'll have these people that, you know, they are... Uh, pre-mill dispensational, but they go out and they preach the gospel and they they do uh, missionary trips and things like this, and that's that's all good. But it's it's almost like they go with 
a, an idea that I hope I get there in time, right? Because this this idea of the rapture, the secret rapture, and uh, dispensationalism and things, it's a fairly new concept. And I have a, a good friend that he would argue with me up one side and down the other on this. But it, it really is. It's a new concept. You know, popularized in the 1830s. And it's not good because the, the evidence that flows from an, uh, an eschatology that doesn't look down through generation after generation after generation to come. I mean, there was a question that uh, James White mentioned that he heard from somebody and that really impacted him. And it's impacted me as well. And that question is, well, what if we're in the early church? I mean, that's just, that's an awesome question, isn't it? I mean, what if that's the case? What if we have another 10, 20, 30,000 years to go? And the, the refining of the understanding of Scripture and the refining of the understanding of eschatology and the refining of the understanding of the Great Commission is all getting sharper and sharper and sharper until we all have this solid biblical worldview on every aspect of life, of work and missionary work and the preaching of the gospel because we need it every day. And a transformation of the culture in an entirety. Where there is coming a time where there will be no more wars. Where literally all of our swords and weapons are, are beaten into plowshares and, and pruning hooks and things like that. I mean, that's an awesome time. And I believe it's in the future that we're, we're looking toward that. And that's going to be awesome. And that should govern the way that we build things, the way that we do business, the way that we preach the gospel, the way that we, like, um, kind of how Doug Wilson put it, he said, I can't even plant a, a hedge the same way anymore. I can't even plant, uh, plant uh, plants around my house that will grow into trees or, or decorative or anything like that because a proper eschatology is what is the driving force normally. That's not always the case because you have in, inconsistencies with people, which is you know oftentimes a blessing in disguise. And there are reasons for it at the moment. It's almost like you know, when you think about those who are not Reformed, they're Arminian in their soteriology. They believe that in in a autonomous free will and things like that. And their inconsistencies is when they when they go to, into prayer. You know, they a lot of times pray, "God, save this person." Um, and and they think that it's if we could just manipulate their emotions enough if we could just get them to make a decision then then they'll come to Christ well we read earlier in John chapter 6 verse 44 no one can come to Christ unless the father who sent him draws them to him so I hope this has been helpful 
And uh, I hope you'll stick around for the podcast. As we continue, we're going to have guests. Uh, We're going to be doing more video type work and everything. And welcome to the podcast.